Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, July 29th. I can't believe July is over already, but it is. It's a freaky free-for-all Friday. Anything goes today. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all. In fact, let's, uh, let's mix it up today. Let's get a little weird. Phone lines are open. We'll get to your calls here pretty quickly. So line them up, 855-950-3835. I have a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, Joel is here with me right now. We're still waiting to hear back from John. Not sure if he's joining us today or not, but I'm going to go ahead and bring Joel in and we'll get started. Joel, welcome back. Hey, good to be back. What's on your mind this week? Oh, we have some news out of Europe on a couple engines that will most likely make it over our way. Um, one from Scania and the other uh, looks like maybe what the D13 TC will be. Um, pretty interesting horse uh, horsepower and torque numbers out of these engines that uh, uh, it's kind of surprising, actually, the the new Scania Super 500, they're calling it. It's a 13 liter. It is 500 horsepower, 1,950 pound feet of torque at, I think, 900 RPM on that one. Wow. And the updated Volvo, um, which is the turbo compounded, uh, same displacement. I think they shaved the piston and add a little more stroke to it, tweaked the air compressor, done some programming changes. And in Europe, currently, it is 510 horsepower with 2065 torque at 900 RPM. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I know you mentioned a they're coming out of the- longer stroke in that second mm-hmm. engine. What's the architecture on mm-hmm. the Scania? Good. It's in my understanding. It's very similar to the Volvo. It, it will be a true downsped architecture. So, okay. looks like we're going to have Detroit, Scania, and Volvo with the downsped architecture, and then Cummins and Packard will probably stick with the uh, with the traditional architecture in the engine. Interesting. You know, I see Cummins push, putting a big push back into natural gas again. I just don't get this. Their their lineup is called fuel agnostic. So if you go and buy a 15 liter Cummins, my understanding is you can buy it as natural gas, as gasoline, as diesel, and as helium or hydrogen, not helium, hydrogen. <laughs> helium yeah. would be fun. <laughs> yeah, might, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, it makes your truck a lot lighter. Uh, yeah, there you go. More payload, right? That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So that engine, that same engine can be had as any of those fuels. Um, now, it won't be dual fuel where you can switch it once right. you buy it as, say, the gasoline version. That's what it stays. But that's my understanding. And the instead of putting money into a redo of the X-15 to maybe change that architecture, they decided to stay with what they had. And they worked on, you know, just delivering different fuels on the same platform. You know, I forget it was maybe 2014. There was a year I actually started doing 
referring to it as the year of natural gas because that's all anybody in the industry was talking about that year. Cummins was big. They're probably the leader in this, but it was pretty much a failure. I mean, when you looked at it, it was like, what's the whole point of this? We have to use almost all the same procedures to get natural gas as we do fuel. I mean, they they kind of come packaged together. We do have a lot of natural gas in this country, but, you know, we're not going after it. So there's no real cost savings because natural gas kind of starts to follow the price of fuel a lot of times. But the other problem was after a couple of years of that, nobody could get the maintenance cost down on these things. It was actually double. The maintenance cost was double a, a traditional engine using diesel fuel. Yeah, maintenance costs and then infrastructure, again, is, is kind of the, the issue with that. I remember when they started to build some infrastructure and then it all it all petered out a couple of years after they started building it and it never really went anywhere. You're right, maintenance costs is a little more. I don't think they have the ranger power that, that no. diesel has. And, and no. you know... Diesel is, ener- is is just very dense energy, and and we can go a long way on it and do a lot of things with it. And the infrastructure is there. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to displace. And, you know, as technology gets better and better, we can uh, we can burn it clean. And I, we're gonna, diesel's going to be around for quite a while yet. It's, yeah. it's definitely not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, the biggest uh, example I've had between the two is – the, you know, when I've got a big generator on one of my RVs, I've had big propane generators and big diesel. There's no comparison. The diesel generators run so much better. They're so much more efficient. Propane, natural gas, I just don't see that as being a big part of our future fuels here. No, I, I, I agree. Um, uh, in fact, you know, with some of the new you know, transmissions that we've talked about and some of the new gearing strategies and stuff we have for the trucks. Um, you know, the fuel efficiency is going to continue to increase and that, that diesel fuel value will continue to increase. I know everybody loves to talk about electric and hydrogen and this and that. There's still major hurdles to overcome with both of those technologies, especially if you want to go any distance with any weight. Yeah. And of course, that's yeah. basically what transportation is all about. How much weight can we get on? How far can we go? You know, exactly. so, you know, for running around town, I get electric um, garbage trucks, school buses, final mile deliveries, all that stuff makes sense. Um, it's going to be a while before you see any of them in a long haul application. And you may never. I mean, right. uh, diesel fuel has a lot of advantages and um as the technology increases, like some of these crazy horsepower numbers we're, we're seeing out of Scania and Volvo going to be coming over. Um, you know, that's 16 liter territory and a 13 liter engine at 900 RPM. It's just, it's crazy. And, you know, when I read that, my mind got working on gearing, you know, we're already down in the low twos. We're going to be in the high ones I think so. with those type of numbers yeah. and, you know, turn it 850 RPM <laughs> at, at 60, 65 mile an hour. Yeah. So it's really cool stuff and um, uh, be fun to work on anyway. Yeah. So since we're talking about engines, we'll just keep going. I had an interesting call yesterday. Uh, guy called me with an oil sample. We're going through it. And mm-hmm. he said um, we had a weird copper number. 
you know, copper either follows lead and you know you have a bearing problem or sometimes copper mm-hmm. will spike through the roof all on its own and you'll get big numbers. Like a typical mm-hmm. oil sample for copper might be two or three or one. I mean, you, you shouldn't see mm-hmm. a lot of copper there. If you see five or six, I'm not going to get too crazy about it. But when an oil cooler does something weird and it leaches, we'll see four or five hundred you know, just out of the blue. Sure. So I had this weird, yep. weird um, copper number. It was like 50 something, I thought. And I thought, that's odd. We usually either see it go really high or you see lead first and then you start to see copper and you know you've got a bearing issue. So as I'm talking about it, the guy mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, but I talked, to, I forget who he talked to. He, and he said, the bearings in the DD-15 don't have any lead. And I said, What? And he said, yeah, he said, mm, they told me wow. the bearings in the DD-15 don't have any lead. And sure enough, we called Pete and Pete's looking into it. And actually, Sarah sent me an article yesterday. They now have a polymer bearing. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, yeah the outer wow. coating on the bearings are polymer. And But the thing is, that's great. And they're supposed to last longer. And I mean, how much longer do we want bearings to last? I mean, they're going a million plus right. miles already. Right. But if they right. can last longer, why not? But somebody needs to, you know, talk to the labs about this because I'm positive we're not testing for polymer. Probably not. <laughs> so how do we know when yeah, we have exactly. a bearing wow. issue now? Yeah, and I wonder what that does. You know, all oils are rated for certain engines and whatnot. When we start talking polymers with oil, I wonder how specific oil is going to become to a particular engine at that point. They actually claim that these are developed to help deal with the lighter weight, lower viscosity, 30 weight oils. I, I yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure they are, but I wonder if the recipe for that particular viscosity has to be specific to accommodate a certain polymer. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Here's something I just found. I was scrolling through the article again. I missed this the first time. Um, so here's what the article says: the first heavy duty diesel engines using Molly's M A H L E. Yes, Molly's poly- yep. polymeric lead-free bearings will appear on vehicles being introduced during the second half of 2016. Why, why didn't we know about this? <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, it's just something you don't really think about. You know, you just know. automatically assume, and, and uh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Now, I'll do some digging around on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, now here's they always have to throw in some quote like this. And I looked at this quote and I thought, who wrote this? Because I don't think they did a whole lot of research. Now, I love advancements. If this is a better bearing, absolutely. Let's do it. It's not any kind of a game changer because we really don't have any big bearing issues today anyway. But here's the, here's the quote. Overall industry testing indicates the new bearing system will offer significant owner-operator cost savings as well. And I thought, hmm, let me think about this. All the trucks I owned all those years, what was my budget for bearings? Oh, yeah, it was zero. Uh, Yeah, here's... 
here's what they're talking about. I'll bet is it's parasitic drag, uh, drag on the crank. Polymers probably has less drag. They don't mention that anywhere, so I didn't even think about that. But I wonder if you're right. They I'll bet you it's it's all going to be related to fuel efficiency and less drag in the crankshaft. Yeah, they um, they really don't. All they really say when it comes to that um, is customer testing of polymer coated crankshaft main bearings and connecting rod bearings also has shown remarkably improved performance. But they give no numbers yeah, as far yeah. as drag or fuel. They yeah. don't even talk about fuel economy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of sounds like the guy that invented Slick 50 went to work for the bearing company, right? <laughs> Isn't that guy in some federal prison somewhere or something? I don't know. <laughs> he prob- probably is. <laughs> if he's not, he should be, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. All right. So uh, one other topic I had on my list here. We don't have any phone calls yet. Usually Friday they light up. Come on. Dial us up. Lines are open, 855-950-3835. I was lazy this week. I don't have a lot to talk about today, so call us up. Gotcha. Um, what, one other thing I did see, and I've talked about this a little bit, but I never mentioned this possibility. You know, we, we've been through these up and down cycles in trucking over and over and over. We know what to expect. I've been trying to warn people about the risks during a time like this as the risk more so for owner operators, but we've seen company drivers get screwed when trucking companies go out of business. Um, They get left out on the road. I'm always shocked when, when these stories start to happen these stories are coming back again. They always do in a bad cycle. Um, I'm always shocked when trucking companies go out of business and there's all these stories of people, drivers who don't have enough money to get home. Isn't that crazy? I, I just, I don't That's get just, it. Yeah. I, you yeah, really, no, I, I hear you. And, and look, I, I get it. If times are tough, you know, maybe you have to take a bus. Buses are pretty damn cheap. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if, if you're that yeah. close to the edge financially, man, that's got to be scary. I, I agree, but hey, I've got a uh, an actual kind of a success story on one of these lease operators that I wanted to share with you. You know, we always hear the the bad side and and how potentially things can go wrong. It can blow up in your face. So, um, a, a guy that I helped uh, spec a truck, his friend had just done a lease purchase with a one of the major carriers, and the truck has just had one issue right after another. He runs about a hundred miles. The truck quits, and they tow it back. It's been towed like five times. He's been in a hotel for like three months. I mean, it's just been it's been crazy. That the lease company took the truck back, paid for everything and gave him another truck. So that was really cool to hear because I mean, it was just wiping this guy out and they, they really stepped up and took care of him. So I guess that's one of the rare instances where maybe being the lease (laughs) operator was a benefit to him. Um, you know, brand new truck. And uh, you just don't expect those kind of problems. And, and they, uh, they stepped up and took care of them. So I was glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that, too. And, and that's good. One of the things people don't realize, though, is that 
the when you have one of these problem trucks, when you're in a lease purchase, normally it's worse. And, and he probably experienced a lot of that, at least in the end, he got some relief here. But the problem is you don't own the truck. So you're the Correct. one who cares about it getting fixed, right? Because you're the one stuck in a motel somewhere, not making any money. But the, the dealership says, wait, this isn't your truck. They, they'll ignore you for the most part. You, you don't, you're not the one that makes decisions on this thing. Um, so a lot of times when you have these major problems, you don't have a lot of say in all this when, it's, when, it, when you aren't the legal owner of that vehicle. That's correct. And, and they were, I was kind of watching this from afar and they would relay me messages through other people. What could this be or what could that be? And I would give them some suggestions and they were actually fairly accommodating in this instance. Um, you know, maybe not to the degree that I would have liked to seen, but better than probably normal. And, uh, uh, they, they done a lot of things for them. They went out of their way to try to get this thing running and they just could not make it happen. They think, and and I, this is, sounds out there to me, but they think this truck was actually struck by lightning, oh, and they think be. it's screwed with all the yep. all the boxes. Yeah, and uh, because they they would change one, they'd put another one on, and then another one would have, and it, it was just one after another after another. And and uh, I, I felt really bad for the guy. I was like, man, if I could take some time off, I'd go up there. But um, they finally just decided, you know what, we're going to put him in another truck. So there we go. Yeah, you know, I I have a. Fair for these kind of trucks if it'll make it a hundred miles just make sure the next shop you go to is a hundred miles from really some really bad downtown area and just take the damn truck in there, there you go. leave it running with the windows down and just walk away you know just <laughs> No, I hear you. Every once in a while, you'll get one of those. That that's that's what it is. We've been fortunate. We haven't had one in a long time. I, mean, I think, man, the last one we probably had was ten years ago. That it was just one thing after another. Yeah. You could not. You couldn't work on it fast enough, and it was, right. you know, they you, they you want to pull your hair out. But uh, um, some other things I got going on today too that I'd like to get into a little bit is. You know, when we've been talking about transmissions and gearing and and some of the things that I see setting up with these new transmissions coming out, the differences in the philosophy, I think the way people are looking at running and gearing these trucks is kind of it's kind of cool when you start to break it down. Um, how Americans kind of look at the downsped thing versus how the Europeans do. Um, which one's better? I, I couldn't really tell you, but there's a definite difference there. Um, I, I kind of lean towards the European side of things, but uh, yeah, some of the American type downspeedings having some success. So, you know, we looked at, we talked about the, the new 18 speed Endurance where they, they've really done a nice job on this transmission. It's uh, um, they've really done their homework. It's lighter weight. It's more efficient mechanical of how deep the reduction should be and the two ratios in overdrive. And to me, this kind of limits the transmission in a way. Um, when you think about the amount of reduction, say my 14-speed iShift has, um, this allows me to run these very fast gears and still have very good startability. 
where in the 18 speed, they have more traditional reductions. So we're going to be stuck with that same, you know, 247 is about as low as you're going to go with it and maintain good startability. But they stretched the overdrive gears out a little bit. And what I'm finding when I run these simulations and comparisons between them, um, that 18 speed is going to be very, very good, but it's, and this is going to sound funny. It's an 18 speed, but in a narrower operating range, because we don't have the deep reduction, right. we can't spin a fast rear end. So we're relying on the two overdrive ratios, which divide torque. Then when we get into direct, we're passing it straight through where in the I shift, we are actually going into underdrive where they're in direct drive and we're multiplying torque, which gives us a nice advantage in, in pulling power when things get heavy at highway speed. So uh, the 18 speed may have a slight fuel efficiency advantage if the driver can keep it in that narrow range. Uh, the iShift's going to offer a much broader operating range and probably a little bit better pulling power as we get into underdrive at highway speed. So it's kind of cool running through all the different scenarios that, that they offer. Um, I, I really like this new 18 speed that, that come out. I just wish they would have, they would have dumped a really deep reduction on it and, and you know, could have used some different gearing, but they decided not to. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, okay, if we go back to when we had nine speeds, You've got a limited mm -hmm. number of gears there to try to stretch out and meet the different requirements you've got. You go to 13, you got a lot more mm -hmm. flexibility. 18 gears and you couldn't find one to make it a deeper reduction? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was my thought, too. Why in the heck yeah, did they get deeper on the reduction? But, but they they decided to stick with what they traditionally had run and and uh so it is what it is but it is a significant upgrade over the yeah. manual as far as efficiency and engineering it is a beautiful transmission they've done a really nice job i, I really like what they've done with it yeah. um it's uh it's on on par with the i shift i i think as far as the the engineering of it um i just think they kind of missed the boat a little bit on the the down speeding part of it although this engine's going to be paired with a commons and a pack r yeah and they both have traditional architecture so it it may be a really good fit for those engines and make them very competitive in terms of fuel efficiency so yeah pretty cool stuff that's kind of what i was thinking is that that is probably going to be the transmission we're going to want to spec for the Cummins and the pack car. Yeah, I think so. And if it were me across the board, I know they have the 12 speed endurance, but that 18 speed is going to give you a lot more flexibility. I, I would put that on, I would take that before the 12 every time on a, on a pack car or Cummins. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely okay. will give you some flexibility and some options to do some things. The other thing I want to touch on real quick, and we had talked a little bit about this last week, is the idea when we're specking trucks, and this has worked for years and years, and it still applies to the old manual transmission, is when we say to spec a truck to run in direct. So the idea here is, is that direct drive is more efficient than overdrive, and that is especially true in the older manual transmissions that you know have the old-style gearing and lube systems in them. 
So this new 18-speed that Eaton just came out with, they're saying, I've seen anywhere from 2 to 4% more efficient, and that's exactly the efficiency gain that you get from going from overdrive to running in direct. So they, right. they kind of solve that that efficiency issue. So now we can start to run in overdrive and leverage the advantage of piston speed, slowing the pistons down. And that's something that um, I don't think a lot of people think about. The other part of that equation is as we get stricter with emission controls, we have to really think about matching you know, the, the, the duty cycle and the piston speed up a little bit closer to reduce particulate just based on piston speed and heat in the engine. And that's something that I don't see, you know, a lot of the engine manufacturers, or maybe not the manufacturers, the guys specking the trucks are not doing a good job at that. We're specking traditional gearing in these new engines. Yeah. And when we have that higher average RPM, we tend to see the soot loading issues, um, especially on engines with traditional architecture and that thrust load on the piston. Uh, so, you know, it's really something that you need to understand if you're going to go out and buy a new truck that the gearing should not look at all like your truck. Do not want to spec to run in direct unless you have just a direct drive transmission and then you have the very aggressive ratio that goes with that 2.16 or 1.95 yeah so there's there's some things you really got to pay attention to there or you'll get into trouble we're finding in our fleet that uh higher average rpm is just as bad as idle time in terms of sooting the engine up. Wow. So our target is keeping it below 1350. Um, I like to see the the trucks running at, you know, 1025 cruise RPM down to 955. Um, In that range, we see almost zero soot. Guys that tend to want to put it in performance mode and just run at, you know, 1400 RPM, and we'll start to see some issues with with those trucks. Uh, so it's it definitely definitely has an impact keeping that average RPM low. And basically across the board, I think today most of the engines can can run down that low as long as we've optimized the the gear train to to do that. Good. All right. Well, calls are starting to come in. I want to get to them here in a little bit. We do still have some room. Go ahead and jump in right now. We actually had a bunch. We lost a couple. We still have some to go to. There's one topic I want to go back to, though, because I want to talk about this. We're going to start seeing a lot of this stuff. There are some things you really have to be careful of in these down cycles. Um, One, since we already mentioned a lease purchase guy, a good story. Let's talk about the thing that will happen during this cycle. It does every time. When you have built your business around that lease purchase truck that you don't own, you have no real legal right to other than what the contract says you have, and the carrier can take back the truck anytime they want. I mean, people love that term walk away lease. Oh, what's the risk? If this doesn't work, I'll just walk away. Well, that also means that the carrier can take that truck back anytime they want. Like, as crazy as this sounds, they can even take the truck back the day before you are about to make your final payment. Nothing would stop them from doing that. The contract would actually allow that. Until you 
exercise that option to buy the truck, at any point, the carrier could take it back. That's not a huge problem. It's something you just need to be aware of. Here's where the bigger problem is. The money you're paying for that truck under your contract, you have to make this many payments over this many months, and then you might have this buyout at the end. That has nothing to do with what the carrier might owe on that truck. That's a contract between you and the carrier. We don't know how the carrier paid for that truck. And we don't know, even after you've made all of your payments, we don't know if the carrier's paid for that truck or not. And lots of times what will happen in bad economies, that situate, that carrier goes bankrupt, you lose your lease purchase truck. Your business goes out of business because the carrier did. Yeah, your, your fate's tied to them a, a lot of times. I've, I've, I've definitely seen that happen over the years. There's no question about it. So yeah. you have to definitely be aware of that. It, it There's no doubt. a lot more in a down economy. We haven't heard of a lot of trucking companies sure. going bankrupt over the last couple of years. My God, if you couldn't survive, you know, in trucking over the last couple of years. So you don't hear about it a lot. We're going to hear about it a lot more. Here's another one, though, and I've already this is already starting to happen. The one thing, especially I'm talking to people with their own authority now, but anybody, if you're leased to a carrier, you have to start watching for those signs that the carrier is having financial issues. You go to use your fuel card and it doesn't work. And there's always that excuse. Oh, it was a technical glitch. Your settlement doesn't show up on time. Oh, we had, you know, our bank screwed up. Just be careful. Don't get too far behind because when that company goes out of business, you lose all that. You got to watch that. But here's one I hadn't even thought of. I talk about this all the time. I don't think I've ever mentioned this. Um, here's the, uh, the headline. Carriers unable to pay drivers and buy fuel after core fund capital closes. It was a factoring company. The factoring company just mm. went out of business. Wow. Yeah. So if wow. you, and here's the other thing I tell people to watch out for this when rates are tanking like they are now and you get some new broker and he's promising you these crazy rates like why is why is this broker have such great freight well a lot of times when these brokers are struggling and they have to keep moving freight they're human. They think they'll get through this. They'll start offering more money. They have to get their freight moved. They start offering a little more money yep. and people jump on it. And then that is the broker that's going to, he's going to tank and he's going to take a bunch of owner operators down with them. So be careful and don't let a broker or a factoring company get too far into you. You know, if you've got a broker or a factory company yeah, that owes you 20, 20 or $25,000, you better be careful. Uh, yeah, I don't, don't get in that position. <laughs> Absolutely not. We, you know, years ago, we got in a position like that one time, and that, that is a horrible, horrible place to be. You're exactly right. So um, don't, don't let people get out on you. Not right now, especially, because we're, it, it's going to get worse. There's no doubt. Um, things are going to get tough. I was hoping that, you know, this may be a 12, 14-month thing. I think we're probably going to be 36, 48 months with this before this thing straightens itself 
out. It's starting to look that way. It really is. You know, one of the well, calls- we're, we're, oh, we're, yeah, we're starting to get into the contract freight, which I was hoping wouldn't happen. Um, I was hoping we'd get enough washout on the uh, on the spot market that capacity would tighten. But I think all the damn government money that they pumped into it <laughs> yeah. allows these guys to hold on, and they're not washing out. And so they're out there, and now it's bleeding over in the contract freight, and that's going to get start getting into the bit. So this could really start to snowball. Um, I, it was really hoping for like a twelve or maybe eighteen month thing, but I it's, yeah. I think it's going to go it's going to go quite a while. You want to know one of the factors that's going to make that worse? And I, I've been thinking about this, and I actually found one the other day. I found this story. It was part of the whole port protest thing. Um, they were interviewing, you know, owner operators that were protesting the AB5 law in the port. And the one guy said, he said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. He bought a $160,000 truck on a 30-year loan. Oh, wow. And I thought, wait a minute, who the hell financed this guy? (laughs) You know who financed him for 30 years? Probably. Yeah, the government on the idle loans. Yeah. He got an idle yeah, loan. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And went and bought a... Yeah. Now, think about this. You know container freight in the ports. Nobody buys brand new trucks to go uh, in containers. Nope. Nope. That's for sure. Just talk uh, about yeah. you know, not, not matching your truck to the duty cycle or the job or the revenue. Nobody buys big, expensive new trucks to run containers out of the port. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I've been watching all the, the stuff going on out in social media. And, and, of course, you've got the group that wants to blame the brokers for everything. <laughs> right. You know, oh, it's the brokers. And it's like, okay, whatever. We don't have up and down cycles. And then you've got, you know, the guys that bought the, the rolling palace on wheels, like you said, to go out and run container freight. And they're they're complaining. And, you know, we, we got to really stop and look at ourselves. I think if to get this one to to come to fruition here and you know as an industry think about what we're doing here for a minute uh we need to really concentrate on efficiency watch our expenses all the things that nobody likes to do that's what it's going to take to to get to get through this so uh i mean if you know in your mind that you're not say now i guess it's the only way you're really going to get through this yeah you know again we these are always tough times but the dm government and their idle loans just made it a whole lot more difficult. Here's the thing. You go buy a hundred and sixty some thousand dollar truck, you're looking at a thirty five hundred dollar a month payment if you financed it the way you should have with a reasonably good right. down payment, no more than four years. You're looking at probably thirty five hundred dollars, um, maybe even a little more for a payment. But that's not what this guy and look, right. he wouldn't have survived a year in the ports, no matter how good the economy was with a payment like that but his truck right. it's only a thousand bucks a month so what that's going yeah. to do it's going to help him yeah. survive longer he'll eventually right, fail right, anyway right. This, but the problem is this is part of the problem yes. while he's failing he'll take somebody else down that might have survived yes. 
Yes, yes, you're exactly right. This is exactly what the problem's shaping up to be here is that we've got all the stupid money into the system and guys that should have been washed out aren't, they're not, and they're holding on and it is, it's just gonna, it's screwing up everything. So I, you know, I was, like I said, I was very hopeful that we wouldn't get into the contract freight hard, but it looks like it's starting right now. We'll probably know in another month or two, you know, how hard it's going to hit, but if it gets into contract freight hard, which I'm thinking it's going to, this is going to be, I think, fairly prolonged. I think so. I think so. All right. Well, calls are piling up. Let's go ahead and see what's on everybody else's mind today. Looks like we're heading off to Georgia. Jocks, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, got a question about a couple of new trucks I'm looking at. You know, they're hard to find anything, but my Kenworth T680 with the Cummins and uh, put me back down on the tow truck again. So uh, the first option, they've got a Kenworth with a Cummins 12-speed and 270 rear end. And the second is a Freightliner with a DD-15, a 13-speed manual, and 269 rear ends, which I don't know. Is there any fuel with something? Probably the Cummins with the Endurance is probably going to get you better fuel efficiency than a Detroit with a manual. If the Detroit had their automated manual, I would have told you to jump on the Detroit. Um, Henry Albert's got a very similar spec, but he's running the DT12, and he's having a whole lot of success with his. Uh, that Cummins with the Endurance is, is fairly downsped. Um, do you know if it's the efficiency series or performance or, or, or what? I think they said they spec it for the efficiency series. It, that probably worked fairly well for you then. Uh, I know a couple people running those, and, and uh, you know, they're in the eights with them on a regular basis. So um, uh, I wouldn't be afraid of it. Yeah, I just uh, coming to just the parts. And I spent 12 weeks in the shop last year, and it just, you know, um, well, here, here, here's the thing on some of these new trucks, and I understand, guys, you know, absolutely, you do not want to be in the shop. So when you look at these newer downsped powertrains, a lot of this is, you know, how you operate it. Um, you know, guys want to drive it in the RPM range that they're accustomed to with traditional trucks. And that, that is hard on the emission system. So if you pull the trigger on this and with the automated manual, it's going to be a lot easier because you're not going to have a lot of options to take it out of the, out of the range. Let that thing run down low. That's where these things thrive. They love that heat that cleans up the emissions on it and uh, keeps the particulate from building up on them. Um, you know, a lot of times an old school driver that's been around, they feel like they're lugging the engine and, and actually it's probably a good thing for, for the engine to, to build that heat up. And it's exactly the opposite of what we've been saying for years. You know, we, we've always wanted to keep the boost pressure down and, and try to keep the exhaust temperature down to a certain degree. And, and really we, we kind of want to do both in the opposite direction now. So, um, 
I, everybody's building a pretty damn good engine nowadays. Um, they're getting more and more reliable. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the, you know, slowing that piston speed down to allow the combustion to take place. Uh, Cummins has some very good shift logic with that endurance transmission. Uh, I, I think you'll be, I think you'll be happy with it. Just try not to idle it and, and do your routine maintenance on it. And you'll probably be in pretty good shape. Well, you know, I've been using that max mileage for, I don't know, three and a half, four years. And that's the one thing I was spending two grand every year on that Cummins replacing mm-hmm. two sensors. But the labor is almost $2,000. I think they were almost 900 a piece. And since I started using that, I've not had a single issue with any soot or anything like that, any of that stuff. But it's just been all kinds of other things, you know. So and like I said, get parts. You know, wait six and a half weeks on parts. They're like yeah, yeah. And, and you know everybody's in the same boat as far as that goes. I know it's not what you want to hear, and there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do about that, except getting very aggressive with your maintenance. If you have certain things that you do that you know works, um, you know, try to do it maybe a little more often. Uh, overhead is a thing that comes to mind on a Volvo for us. Um, you run the overhead, you, you set the exhaust plungers and you retorque the hold downs and Volvo has a recommendation. I think it's like every 150,000 miles. We do it every year, regardless of miles or hours. And typically, you know, we're running 125,000 miles a year. So we're, we're doing it early and often. And, uh, you know, as parts become scarce, do what you can do early and often. And, uh, uh, it really helps to get that truck to run extended times without being in the shop. So, uh, that's something you can try and do just examine, you know, what you've been doing and what's working. We kind of have that review at our shop. You know, this has worked very well. Do we want to keep this uh, frequency or do we need to adjust it one way or the other? And uh, always re-examine what you're doing in terms of maintenance and, and try to improve it. Uh, I try to fix things or keep them from breaking out. I lube every 10,000 or so, and people think I'm an idiot. You know, they wait 80,000 until they change the oil. Like, <laughs> they're in your truck. And, and so, yeah, there's, can, there's things you can do as far as lubing the chassis. I, I'm with you as far as that goes. I, I lube early. You know, we pull oil samples. We're a huge believer in oil sampling. We've done it for years. I know, obviously, Kevin is, and, you know, that's something that 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 really gives you a heads up on what's going on uh, with your truck. There's there's no doubt about that. And if that's something that you're not doing, you, you should definitely be is pulling oil samples. I, I pulled my oil sample and it came back fine and the uh, truck went in to change the filters and lube it and it was mm-hmm. six and a half weeks down and $18,000 before it left the shop. And I think what wow. happened is the tech did not prime the engine. They even took the head off to see if it had cracks in it because they couldn't figure out why it wouldn't start. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, really. Nothing, nothing showed oil. So, okay, gotcha. I call Volvo, and they don't have a clue when they're going to get another new truck. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, their order boards are way, way out. Yeah, that, that yeah. is for sure. Yeah, yeah that that's gonna yeah. get that's uh, gonna get interesting too. Um, 
we're going to start seeing a lot of those orders get canceled. I think, I think that whole, uh, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. I yeah. think you're right. In fact, um, we just picked up, uh, a bunch of slots from a fleet that canceled orders. Yeah. Yeah. I and, uh, we, we couldn't get a damn order <laughs> and then the fleet <laughs> right. canceled like that. And, and right. so we're, we're like, yeah, we'll take those. And so we, we split. So yeah, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna proliferate. No doubt. It's, it, that'll make it down to the dealer level and out to the general public here. I'll bet you in three to four months, we're going right. to, there's, there'll probably be trucks sitting everywhere. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. A couple things are going to happen. One, a lot of the new truck orders over the last, you know, year to two years wasn't replacement. It was add-on. Companies were trying to add trucks because there was so much freight and the rates yes. were so good. So those add-on yes. trucks will drop quickly. Companies that were just trying to add trucks, yes. they'll cancel those orders pretty quickly. The others that were actually replacements, you know, their standard duty cycle kind of thing, every downturn I've ever seen in this industry, there's another pattern. Companies start keeping trucks longer. When the when the freight's yes. not paying well, there's not yes. enough freight, they will extend that cycle and they'll keep their trucks longer, which means they'll be canceling yep. those replacement orders too. Yes, yes, this, this always happens. And the, the supply chain issues just kind of compounded things. My understanding is that the big fleets were looking at all these supply chain issues, and so they just put in these extraordinary wow. orders to, to lock up build slots. And probably with no intention of taking them all, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. They wanted to secure their spots, and, you know, who knows what the economy is going to do for sure. I, like I said, I don't see things getting any better, but uh, we can always hope. And I don't know we'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> yep. Well, here's, here's the one thing I always try to keep in mind. And I try to remind everybody else, let, let's look at what the worst case scenario could be like worse than 08, worse than anything we've ever seen at, at the worst I could ever imagine. We might lose Let's let's get extreme. What if we lost half of the trucking industry? That would be horrendous. We've never seen anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. But if we did, there's still half left, and I can promise you, I'm yes, going to be yeah, one of them. There's a lot of a lot of opportunity there. <laughs> That's, That's right. exactly right. So, yeah, I, I just when I see these guys complaining about the world because you know things are slowing down anybody that's been around the industry understands that everything runs in cycles. It always has. And the longer the upside, the harder the downside typically. Right. Um, and we've come off a very, very long oh, upside. So I would man. expect that we're going to have a very hard downside. The thing of it is, you know, if you built your business around the peak of the upside, you're, you're done. I mean, you're just done. Um, if you understood that everything is cyclic, then, you know, you, you're kind of putting your finances in a, in an arrangement to where when things crash, you're still going to be able to operate. And that, that means watching your expenses and, and concentrating on efficiency. And, and the, the guys that do that, that's going to be the half that makes it through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when we look at our industry and we look at other industries, we, we have some real advantages in bad times. Like, there are some industries that can almost be completely wiped out in a bad time. Luxury stuff, RVs, mm-hmm. you know, nobody needs to buy an RV right now. And 
they won't. Those are the kind of things people will stop buying. Even houses, for example, new construction on houses can slow way down, can almost disappear. Mm -hmm. It's not like we have to have new houses. People will find some place to live. There's lots of houses and apartments. Those kind of industries can slow way down. The thing about trucking, if nothing else, you have to have food, you have to have fuel. There are things that we have to have every single day, and that can't stop. No, you're exactly right. It is an essential part of the economy, and it, it, it will not ever totally stop. Like you said, it, it, maybe we get cut in half. But uh, it will never come to a complete stop. That is for sure. Yeah. So keep that in mind and make sure you're doing the right things so that no matter how bad it gets, you still make it. Yeah, it's the basics. Concentrate on the fundamentals right now. You know, there's I get it. There's guys out here for the lifestyle, you know, and and all that. And and they're probably not going to make it. I I mean, for the most part, they're, they're just out here because they think it's cool and that's what they like to do. And, and they, they don't concentrate on any of the the business part of it. And, uh, that, that will be problematic for their operation as things start to really tighten up. And, you know, people are crying to blues right now. They think it's bad. It's really not that bad yet. (laughs) It's not. Uh, (laughs) It's going to get a whole lot worse than, no, historically, if you put it in historical context, I mean, hell, it's not not that bad yet at all, but it, it's it's going to get, though. So. Well, actually, to put it into context, I had a call yesterday. It was from Steve Wheeler, who I know well, known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I, so had I received the call that he called me with yesterday, let's say five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, and the person started rattling off mm-hmm. these numbers, I would have been screaming bullshit over the phone. I mean, I, I would have just been yeah. saying, oh, you're so full of it. <laughs> so this is just yesterday, and we know things have tanked quite mm-hmm. a bit, but Steve was going through his numbers. He's still north of $1.50 a mile net. Yeah, nice. Yeah, he's got nice. his operating yeah, costs down to 70-some cents a mile total. His fuel cost is in the low 50-cent range, and his rates are still good because he's still on contract rate, and he's he's yeah. killing it still. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, as a fleet, uh, we're doing well still. We're mostly contract freight. We've done very little spot market stuff, so we didn't have much exposure there. We're just now starting to see some of the rates starting to erode a little bit. We fully expect that to continue. Um, you know, we're efficient enough where I think things could get really bad, and we're still going to be profitable. Now, it's not going to be fun, right. and nobody's going right. to like it, but yeah. uh, we're still going to be here. We'll make it through. Um, and a lot of places are not in that position, obviously. They, they, I don't know, some of the bigger companies that are running off that economy of scale thing, um, they don't have to watch the efficiency quite as tight as what a smaller fleet like ours does. For an owner-operator, it's all about efficiency. That's all there is when times that's, get tight. That's, that's right. That is your only backstop. Yep. And a lot of guys don't realize that. You know, they just, they're still clinging to this. If I can drive 85 and deliver one more load... I'll be all right. And it's just, it's not going to (laughs) work. Well, and here's something else to think about as we go through this and we start, you know, losing companies and owner operators and the problems that we're facing currently, if you, if you're 
you know, if you're getting good rates, you've got your, your cost under control, this is still a good time. There's still a lot of money to be made. And the problems we're facing mm-hmm. are things like, well, damn it, I, I'm still doing good, but I can't get this part I need. You know, there's still some shortages going yes. on. All of that's going to improve. And if you're in a position yeah, where you're, where you're like, man, I have good freight, my operation's nice and tight, I just can't keep drivers. Well, that's going to change. Drivers are going to get a whole lot easier to keep. Yeah, Yeah, because all the housing guys you were talking about, when that dries up, they're going to come drive trucks. That's what they do, you know? And and so you're going to have all these construction workers say, I got a CDL, can you put me in a truck? And and that's exactly right. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity despite the downward trend. Uh, There will be a lot of successful companies that know how to, you know, kind of manipulate things to their advantage despite everything moving down, uh, there's still going to be money to be made. So, um, pathway is going to look a little different. Like my fleet is going to look different than, than Steve Wheeler's owner operator model that he's got going on, but there will be opportunity across the board. You just have to know how to look for it. Yeah. You know, the other factor that I think is going to be different this time, um, and probably not in a good way. I think we're probably going to see more fleet failures this time because of this. I'm thinking back as far as I can remember, my first downturn I went through was in the early 90s. You would probably remember that one. Um, then yep, yep. kind of in the late 90s, then we had the dot-com bubble bust. Then we had 08, which was the housing bubble. Um, but... Mm-hmm. Thinking back, and you probably will have more insight on this as well, I do not remember during those cycles seeing fleet during, so when we have a bust, you you can almost always assume there was a boom before that. So, you know, when when things went bad in the early 90s, that means the late 80s, prior to that, we were doing pretty good. Same thing before all the busts. Mm there was the bubble where things were great. I mean, that's how these cycles work. But I don't remember during all those other cycles, I do not remember fleets raising driver pay hardly at all. No, you're exactly right. That you're exactly right. And this, this is going to be one of those things that's going to be unique to this situation. Um, You know, and, and, Floater transportation has to deal with this because yeah. in order to keep drivers, we had to significantly raise pay. And so exactly, yeah, exactly how this is going to work. I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not a, an easy thing when, when, you know, you got guys that are, I mean, we got guys that are, you know, 70 cents a mile right in that area, 75 cents a mile with stop pay to the driver. That's almost yeah. double what we used to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that did not happen in any of those other cycles. Driver pay almost didn't bounce during those cycles. Never. Yeah, absolutely never. That's exactly right. Which, I mean, from... I love the idea that the, that the drivers can make more money and, and they too. should make more right. money. And I think that that is the right thing to do because I think the industry kind of took advantage of the, of the drivers over the years in, in certain ways. So I, I love that that has happened. Um, exactly how this is going to change the dynamic of the washout. I, I don't know yet. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in our position. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to be fine. I think, I think, 
the companies that, you know, focus on efficiency year round and focus on expenses year round, I think they're going to make it. And then when things do wash out, I think they're going to be just that much stronger for the next, you know, as things pick up and, and, and get good again, uh, we're going to see a little bit different industry on the other side in terms of pay and benefits and whatnot, which I think is a damn good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I just think this, the, you know, we, we can say we've been through these cycles. We know how they work, but there's some pretty unique stuff about this one. All that government money, the fact that we actually have yes. owner, owner operators out there that are financing trucks on 30 year idle loans. Is, <laughs> that's a new factor. Um, dry, company drivers making a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a new factor. I mean, that was. Yeah, and, and you know, you know what's crazy about this? Of course, me and you, we come up when it was shit, and you were broke all the time. <laughs> you know, it's like my stepson; he, he's knocking down a hundred grand. He expects that. You know, I it's know. like oh, fuck. I won't work right. for less. Than like, geez, oh, Pete's kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he he's got no way to put it in context with anything that happened before. Uh, things got really good there for a while and his limited experience, that's all he knows. Right. Right. And And it's just, yeah, you just shake your head like, damn. (laughs) And of course he's going to expect that. Why wouldn't he? That's the reality. He he knows. Yeah. Wait a minute. This is what I've always been paid. Why wouldn't I expect this? Right, you, right. That's exactly right. You know so, what? I just thought about something I mean, I would, else, have, but, I would have never, I would have never, when I was coming up, thought, yeah, I'm a company driver. I'd be knocking down a hundred grand a year. <laughs> right, <laughs> I never, know. ever even thought about that. You know, you're thinking no. 62, 65, oh, I'm man. doing all right. But a exactly. hundred, like, wow, yeah. Well, and yep. we, here's, crazy. here's a new trend we'll see, and we'll just have to watch what happens. Human nature, we know how it works. If you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, guess how much you're going to spend? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to spend 110. That's exactly. what you're going to do, yeah. Exactly. You make 100, <laughs> yep. you're going to spend 110. Now, typically, uh, yep. when drivers kind of wash out of trucking, they go get a factory job or a construction job, probably pays pretty close to what they were making in trucking anyway. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. When these guys wash out right. of the industry making $100,000 a year, where the hell are they going to go? Well, and that's that's why I think this dynamic's going to be it's it's going to get funky on the other end when things start to improve because when you get these construction workers that come in, if they can make more money than when they were working, we're going to have a labor issue yeah. across the board on the on the recovery because the, the pay thing is just all over the board right now, and it, it, it'll get inter- interesting on on the opposite side, no doubt. Yeah. All right, let's grab a couple more calls. Let's go to South Carolina. David, welcome to the program. Hold on, guys. Just got a quick question about rear end gears. I'm wanting to. All righty. Uh, I'm wanting to uh, re-gear my truck to run and direct. Currently, I've got 342s on a Coronado. It's got the Mercedes diffs. So, uh, from what I understand, my options are a little limited as to what gear sets I can put in it. My rebuilder can get, I think he said, 285s. How would that work for running in direct, and what would be an ideal speed with a 12.7 Series 60? Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. You, 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 you could do it in direct if you don't mind running 55 to 60. 
I typically only run about 62 to 65 anyhow. You know, that, that I'm already, you know, driving a brick wall into the wind, yeah. you know, being it's a, a non-aerodynamic truck. You know, my experience when we were building a lot of these, you know, pre-emission electronic engines and gearing was that the 12.7 Swift spec'd a bunch of these at one point with 293 gears. And it was the most awkward gear ever. The only thing we finally figured out, though, was if you would just run that truck 55 to 60, you could get awesome fuel economy. Anything after that, and it started yep. to drop off pretty quick. And I think this 285 yep. is so close to a 293, you're going to have that same experience. I don't think I would run it at 65. I think it, it's, I know it doesn't sound like much more, but you'll see the fuel economy drop off pretty significantly. So here's the thing. Um, if you're going to put a 285, a 285 would work with overdrive and you can pick up some efficiency with reduced piston speed. You won't get the full efficiency out of the transmission. Um, so if, if you have a 13 speed and you do decide to pull the trigger on this 285, play with that overdrive gear. Just because you're overdrive doesn't necessarily mean you're just going to take it on the chin in terms of fuel efficiency. Typically, when you're light, and I don't know how often you're light, obviously, or what percentage you're empty, that, that overdrive gear is fine to run uh, with an older engine. You, you just, you're not going to move any weight because they don't make any horsepower down low. But if you have lighter loads or you're running faster, obviously, you, you would use it. But uh, um, the 285 to run in direct, it's just not aggressive enough. You, you need to get down around 250 or under. Um, 247 is probably going to be your basement because then you're going to get into startability issues. If you're the only one driving the truck and you're very careful and you understand that you have to be careful with the truck to get it started, you could probably drop down to 226 or 228 down in that area, but, but no more than that. And you're really going to have to drive the truck at that point. You know, you're going to have to really yeah. pay attention when you're starting, or you're going to shit the drive shaft out all over the ground. You know, Matt, so the rebuilder I was talking to, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, Matt just reminded me of something I forgot when, when Swift put those trucks out into the market and we started seeing a bunch of them, we actually had a thing on our website. It was called the 54 mile per hour club. A bunch of guys bought these things and started running 54 miles an hour yeah. and getting crazy fuel economy with them. Yeah. I would go into yeah. like the 240s if I could find it, but they said that I guess because this particular rear end, the, the, the ring and pinion that they can get, the lowest he can find, I think he said 285 or 286, somewhere in that range was what he could get for this particular rear end. That, that is I had problem. a friend that I, I had a friend that bought just a cutoff cheaper than, than he could re ratio what he had. Right. And he switched everything over and, and he, he fairly cheap. Um, everything was in really good shape. It didn't have a whole lot of miles on it. And he went from three twenty five to two forty seven, and it, and it was on a Volvo, though, that should have never been 325 to begin with. And he done very well. He picked up a mile a gallon on his truck, and he picked up speed as well. So you may want to think option. about that. Yeah. yeah, that's actually not a terrible idea 
because I've heard that the yeah. bigger ants are bad about digesting themselves with the with the with the bearings, and I've actually had that happen to me once coming across Virginia on sixty four. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, you may be able to get a. a an Eaton or a Meritor rear axle and, and replace it if that's what your preference is and get a, a more aggressive ratio. 247 is very, very common out there in, in cutoffs because a lot of fleets would run that as a direct drive setup. Um, and that would get you to where you need to be with that Detroit uh, as far as RPM and cruising speed at 62. Okay. All right, well, I'll, I'll start looking into that because I, I, I think my builder was talking about four to five grand to 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 re-gear these or do a swap out with already rebuilt um mm-hmm. differentials so that that might be just as practical an option as having these re-geared and get away from the the bearing trouble that, that these that these diffs have all right yeah. guys i appreciate it have yourself a great day sure you're welcome thanks for the call let's go to uh georgia and i'll let you know right now this will uh this will be our last call of the day unless more come in so we'll we'll hang out if more calls come in and we'll take them if not we're going to wrap this up for the week after this one we're going to go to georgia james welcome to the program hey gentlemen how are you good what's on your mind today hey, i was I was uh, thinking about the uh, gentleman in California that uh, you read about and the carb uh, regulations coming down the pipe for, I think it's January 1st, is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, you can't have a truck with a 2013 or older engine go into the ports after January 1st? Uh, that's possible. I don't even try to keep up with those regulations, but I, I know they're out there and I know the ports are the strictest. Yeah. And, and with the used truck prices being what they have been over the last year or two, you can see why they're having to take those loans out. Well, wait, get in and, in there. no, no, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. And that's right. The, and it sucks that the ports are the first ones that have to upgrade because they're the ones that make the least amount of money when it comes right down to it. <laughs> um, but a 2013, think about that. That's a 10 year old truck. Now, there's a big, big difference between buying a 2013 and buying a 2022. I'm not justifying what he did. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I get but it. I they think are... we're going to see this a lot more. Right. I mean, I, I was even saying the other day, and I now that you brought this up, I was saying the other day, hell, if I were running in the ports, I, I'd be buying old, you know, electronic pre-emission engines. Hell, I might even go to a mechanical engine, except that you can't. Well, not in the California ports anyway. There's still ports. People are pulling containers. You can still run mechanical engines. My God. So, yeah, I, I get it. They are forced to upgrade a little sooner than the rest of us, but we're still talking about 10-year-old trucks that are still legal in the ports. No, I understand. I, I just was... Uh trying to make sure that you couldn't just go out and buy a mechanical engine and go sure. into L.A. Long yeah. Beach and yeah. run that now. Right. And, and with AB5, that just adds a level of uh, oh, complexity. Yeah, between between <laughs> the regulations in the ports and AB5, I mean, is California just trying to destroy the trucking industry in that state? <laughs> They're working on it, My for God. sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, right. it's going to affect all of us because, you know, this is a nationwide in, or, yeah, industry, and we are affected by what California does. Let's, uh, let's go to Florida. Mark, welcome to the program. Are you, Kevin, yes. uh, this is Mark. Uh, I'm in Florida today. Uh, I call, last time I talked to you, uh, remember I called you and told you I was total paying for a dispatch service and we're, it was like 28 cents a mile. And you're like, uh, <laughs> you're crazy, insane, you know, get rid of her. So I, I, I did. And I that remember, was, yes. That was, uh, so I did. Uh, and it's just been been better than i could expect uh june june i june i, I grossed uh forty seven thousand thereabouts and through the first half of the year i have uh, my numbers are two hundred twenty thousand gross averaging uh, right at 350 a mile on all miles and that's car hauling so you know fuel of course fuel is fifty thousand dollars but uh anyway so i i made that change what you said to do and and uh, it worked out probably Excellent. better than I expected. And my Excellent. stress level went down, too. So, yeah, yeah. So, well, and, you know, I had it. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, Mark, um, I, I'm glad you took the advice because th- that's one of those things that can be a total game changer. That one change might be yeah. what helps you survive this. But I missed out on an opportunity. I thought to myself right after I hung up on that call, I thought, man, I blew it. Why didn't I just offer to do his dispatching for 25 cents a mile? (laughs) (laughs) You kind of did. You kind of did. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, you know, it's just, again, it's about building relationships out here with these, uh, you know, I'm in car hauling, so it's a little different animal, but it's like, you know, it's just about building relationships, you know, when, uh, and it's like I've just been hauling, you know, direct for these uh, some of these carriers out there hauling their overflow. And uh, right now, going down to Florida, the sunrise, and I'll come back up to Brunswick. And because Mercedes are all on hold, I I hooked up with a carrier because they know what my insurance is out of, and Bill Fraley and them. And it's like automatically got to load back to Houston tomorrow out of uh, Brunswick for uh, $4,500. So, uh, nice. You know, it's, nice. It's just like, it's just building relationships. I've just been running this one circle down here. So, uh, uh, I, I've been meaning to get a hold of you and let you know how things worked out. But, uh, it, it just, it did, you know, and, and, and I was sitting there because I about fell out of the bunk when, when I looked inside that I was paying almost 28 cents a mile, but I'm like, yeah. you know, it's like people ask me, how am I doing? And I, I told the guy this morning, I said, you have to know your numbers. I said, if you don't know your numbers, you're not going to survive. There you you go. have to know everything about and You have to know everything about them. And I was telling him about my numbers and I said, you have to know these things because if you don't know these things, you're going to go broke out here because you just, you have to know it. And you've preached that for so long and, you know, I thought I knew my numbers until I hired Paul as a account, uh, bookkeeper. Now it's just like, I know, I know what I'm doing out here. So it's Excellent. made everything a lot easier and stress levels go down. And in fact, getting rid of that lady that was booking my clothes, it's like, now I'm doing what I want to do. I don't have to look down there and find out. I'm, I've got six pickup trucks that don't really fit on this trailer. And like, how in the shit am I going to do this? And, you know, so now it's just like, I do what I want to do, but it's like, I know what I'm going to make, and I know what I know. And it's like I make three or four phone calls a week, and that's it. And I'm working, go. so it's Excellent. like, you know, and, 
and, and I got a relationship with the first per- person that runs the Lowe's out of the West Point. Tia, if I go to Texas, she goes, any Lowe's? Yeah, she goes, what do you want to do? I said, well, beggars can't be choosers or whatever. And I just thank them for everything they give me. And it's like, you know, when you show appreciation and show communication and all like that, it's like they'll bend over backwards to, to work with you. And because, you know, they're just looking for re- people that are responsible and, you know, they're looking for, you know, good attitudes. And, you know, if I'm making money, I got a good attitude. So, yeah. Yeah, Mark, you know, you know, first off, thank you for the feedback. You just made my week. I love calls like this. But uh, what you've just discovered is in this industry, as much as we talk about all the problems and all the challenges, and there are clearly, you know, things that are tough in this industry. But the one thing I've always tried to say, there's almost no competition out there. It, there really isn't. No, there, is, there isn't. <laughs> I'm like, I, I told my bookkeeper yesterday, I called her, I said, why is it I'm making money and people sit there complaining about not doing this? Because it's not really that hard. It's like, it's, it's like I don't even feel like I work. I've come out here, I load up a load of cars, and people pay me a whole lot, a lot of money to haul them as long as I don't screw everything up. And it's like, right. I, I don't even feel like somebody said, how long are you going to work? I said, well, I don't even feel like I'm working right now. It's like, I just go out and load up a load of cars. That's the hardest thing I do is load the cars. I get my exercise and, and everything else. And, you know, and, and so... It's just, you know, about, and it's just about managing your, you know, the, the odds and ends and making sure you have good financing and good relationships and, and, and you just, and you got to know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, you, you, you will fail. There you go. You know, it's, there it's you just, go. So, that's, that's, you know, people, people always complain to you about that. They, 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 they call, they don't know, but it's like. When you do, it just makes everything easier. Well, there, there's such a great example in here. Um, Joel, think about this, because I changed my opinion mm-hmm. on this several times over the last couple of years. When these dispatch services started popping up, um, and I remember a time where t- nobody even talked about a dispatch service. I don't even think they existed. This is a fairly new phenomenon. Right. Um when they first popped up, my thought was, you must be an idiot to pay somebody to do this. Why would you? But then as the as we progressed into this, you know, really high paying freight, freight everywhere, I started thinking, you know what? For some of these guys might not be a bad idea. Just just stick to what you do well, which is drive the truck. And there's so much freight and it's paying so good. You know, maybe that extra expense of having a dispatcher is not that big of a deal. And it keeps you from doing all that. And you can just go out and make money. So I kind of changed my mind and thought, you know what? If you're, if you're really knocking it down and you don't want to do that work and you're paying somebody else, no big deal. Now, though. Yeah, you, you better go back and take a look at it. And what Mark was able to do when he called me, and this is what shocked him, when he put his numbers together and realized how much of the profit was going to that dispatch service, then he made the change. Immediately. Yeah, I went, right. On Friday, that Monday morning, I sent him a letter. I said, <laughs> expected immediately, our relationship has ended. Yeah. And I explained why. I didn't say his personalities or anything. I'm going to say I laid out the numbers. These are the numbers, and this is what I'm paying you, and this is too much. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Nice knowing you. Yep, exactly. Yeah, Joel. Yeah, yeah and, 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 no, it's just business. Well, I think these dispatch services really, it, it's it's dependent upon, you know, operation, operation, how a guy operates. I, I mean, you look at, 
kind of what I'm doing as far as a lot of the testing and stuff that I'm doing. I have to move freight, but my is actually gathering data for the the OEMs that I'm I'm kind of working with, and so maybe in my case it would make sense because right. I don't necessarily not my primary focus is not necessarily moving freight. Mine's more about collecting data and and, and testing things. So you know every operation is different, but in general I, I think you're exactly right. Um, look at those numbers real hard, and in most cases you're going to end up just with this guy down here and, and, and tell him, you know, it, it just costs way too much. So, um, yeah, everybody's got to look at that and, and make their own individual um, decision based on their their business. Well, but uh, I think you're right in most cases. Yeah, and I'll just give you another example of the same thing. And it's just understanding that in small business, you need to be flexible. You need to be changing and adapting. And I remember early on when we would go through these cycles that many times I would start doing a little bit more of my own maintenance. You know, I kind of decided in the beginning, even though I had the tools, I had the skills, I really didn't want to drive my truck all week, do all my paperwork and accounting, and then have to go wrench on the truck. So I decided early on, even though I could do this, I'm going to pay somebody else to do this. But when times got tough, then I might find myself doing my own oil changes and and minor maintenance to save a little money. Sure. 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 Yeah. and, And you know, well, you, you always have this argument. Is it a, a new truck or a used truck? What's better? Is it a dispatch service or not? It, it, a lot of this is how much research you do, how well you can, you know, kind of optimize that situation for your business. I, there, there's people that probably make it work just fine. Other people that are probably just taking it on the chin. So, um, you know, really look at the numbers and, and it all comes back to what you always say. Know your numbers. Yep. Um, it, it, that's what it boils down to. You know, and it's small operation. It's all about efficiency and, and your numbers. And you better do both well now yep. or you're not going to yeah. be around long. Absolutely. Yeah, you, 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 have to, you have to know because even when times are good, you have to know because it was like I, I was paying what, 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 was, what was equivalent to be a full-time employee that would be right. dedicated to make three phone calls a week. <laughs> and it's like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. That's just insane. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. No, no, no. It's like, and, and I do it better because I know where the hell I want to go. And I know, I know how I want to haul this. I know the lane. And, and uh, I mean, a, a person asked me this morning in his business, how do you remember all that? I said, because I just did. Yeah. I know, the, yeah. I know which lanes, I know the lanes. It's, it's like, it's almost like the same lanes in the sky, the airlines run. You, you, you run right. these points to points, hub to hub. And it's like, you just, to, and then it's constantly when I, when I figure out what this pays, it's like I had my, I know what my empty miles going to be. I had it together, and it's like, I mean, I, I sat there and I called Paul. And I said I got my numbers because for the for, for the for the first half of the year, and I added because I, I, I took what she she had on my on my uh, uh, my income statement, but it's like I put in what was out. I had like thirty thousand dollars outstanding on accounts receivable last uh, last month. The last week of the uh, the quarter, I made fourteen thousand seven hundred dollars, and nice. I added all of that that those outstanding into there, and it come up to two twenty. And I took, uh, you know, I'm within a thousand miles or a couple hundred of, of what my miles because my IFTA, and I just divided it and was like, it came back to three forty nine for all miles again, and I'm like. Aren't, I guess I'm doing okay. Aren't numbers amazing? Awesome. Yeah. See how clear the numbers yeah. make everything? 
you know, we, and that's all. Yeah. That's all my. That's all miles. That's all miles. That's from, right. From, I mean, when I, I got to go to shop or whatever, if you look at that, you say all miles. It's like you're getting paid even when you're not even working because you're. You know, it's like you're still. I guess. I guess that's what they mean by passive income. It's like okay, I did all of this, but now it's like it. It, it just it, it makes it all crystal clear, and it's there you like. Go. You, you, you just have to do it. The numbers don't lie. I mean, you can make them lie, but they don't. When, when you, when you, <laughs> That's right. When, when you just look at what, what you're really doing, it's like, it's amazing. And it, it, it's like, it makes you like, I mean, I keep telling my bookkeeper, I'm like, am I a real car hauler yet? She goes, yeah, you are. I said, well, I don't really want to do that. I want to jinx everything because I don't feel like, I mean, this is so good that it's like, I mean, even in these bad times that they're saying, it's like, and one day maybe it'll just fall off the cliff, but it's like, I'm, you said three years ago, prepare for this. Find get your cost of capital low, get your get a good interest rates, and prepare. And it's like, you know, I, I was like, that only makes that's only common sense. But I don't think people listen to you, and now they're crying. So uh, I did listen. So <laughs> even though I, even though, yeah. even though I've made, yeah. I, even though I've made every damn mistake in the book, get started, you know. And it's like I did everything wrong, and and. But it's somehow it worked out. So, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. We'll, we'll keep it up and uh, keep checking in. Uh, Joel, can you hear the excitement in his voice? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's definitely awesome phone call. Guy's very passionate about what he does. You know, he's understanding things. He's digging the efficiency part of it and watching his expenses. And that. Yeah, just a great call. Love that. Love that. What a great call to... Uh, to almost wrap up the week we have a couple others and somebody called in um yesterday or someday this week i was talking about a bundle of our courses i have like four courses online that would really help an owner operator and i talked about putting them together as a bundle because we could really use some help right now um and mike called in wanted an update mike i have not called aaron yet on this so i will uh I'll try to get on this this afternoon. We'll, we'll get it done. I'll just, I'll figure it out. We'll come up with a price. We'll bundle all four of those courses. Uh, we also have an oil sample. So let's grab that call. Jim in Ohio, welcome. Good afternoon, Kevin. How you doing? Good, good. Um, are, are, so are we going to be talking about fuel injectors? Well, I'm not sure because um, I idle the truck a lot because I don't have an APU on here. Okay. And when it's like 95 degrees outside, I I tend to not want to sweat in the bunk. So. Okay. Then I, that's, so that's the one thing that's leaping out at me. Yeah. So the reason I ask that is because when I pull up your oil sample, it's pretty obvious right there in the middle of the page. Fuel dilution historically, if we go back to August of 2020. The oldest sample I have, it was 3.4. And if you would have called me, I said, just ignore it. Don't even think about doing anything. But then uh, March of 2021 jumped up to 4.3. That would have been one where I would have struggled. You know, when we get above four, we start looking at other factors. But the other factor is... When we have fuel dilution, that lowers the viscosity, and we start worrying about wear metals. Well, you've never really had any wear metal issues to speak of. So, you know, yeah. now it's, you know, 4.4, 4.7. This last one actually j- dropped down to 
Um, but we still aren't seeing any wear metals. So I would just ignore this. I would not mess with the injectors. I think we're much more likely to create a problem than we are to fix one. Yeah, and I just had the overhead run about um, 35,000 miles ago. And you see the soot got lower on this one, yeah, too, to I, a point two. Yeah, which I, is what, good. whatever they did on the overhead, somebody did it right because we saw an improvement in both fuel dilution and soot, which is a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted your your uh, your opinion I, on this fuel dilution situation. And I think I'd ignore you know, it. It's just kind of. Yeah, I think I, I think I might just keep the oil in here and then I'll just check it again at 50,000 and see how it looks. Yeah, and maybe this, hopefully it'll drop. I don't know. Yeah, this oil's still fine. There's nothing wrong with this oil whatsoever. Actually, after the overhead, a couple of numbers improved. I would leave this alone. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, I appreciate it. You're Have welcome. Have a good day. You're welcome. You too. Hey, Joel, speaking of injectors, I was talking about this the other day on the show. I was watching, um, it's been just screaming hot here lately, which is unusual for us. Uh, so I haven't been doing a whole lot outside. So I was kind of binge watching this show on cruise ships. And it was kind of funny because they had, mm-hmm. to, they had to change a fuel injector. The fuel injector was like uh-huh. the size of the mechanic. One guy could barely carry <laughs> a fuel injector. It was hilarious to see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, some of those big ship engines. What are they? Wartzel, that German company that makes them great big two-story engines. That they're big two-strokes that turn about four hundred RPM in them ships. They're crazy. Yeah, right. House the size of pisses the size of a house, and it's just nuts. Yeah, yeah. The, the the funny thing was they show the guy carrying the injector, and it's so big that. But here's the interesting thing. Carrying the injector was the hardest part about the whole job. Replacing that injector was actually really simple. I mean, they have this giant cover. The cover comes off. So it almost looks like kind of a valve cover kind of thing, but they're individual. So it's got this sure. giant cover over the injector. You take that off. It was like one hold down bolt. The whole giant injector comes out. They lube it, drop another one in, tighten the bolt, close the lid. And off the <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like, oh, they are nice. Yeah. Nice. Like, man, you that's can't change cool. an injector like that on a truck. That was so, it was so easy. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. thought that was pretty wild. All right. Anything you want to close with? Oh, hopefully I'm going to have my purple truck on the road here soon. I will be getting a hold of you because I got to get this thing on fuel gauges and get all that set up. I, um, I'm probably going to be out West towards the end of September. Um, and we may be shooting some video and stuff out there. And if I get out that way, I'll try and swing over and bring the truck over. Why don't you take it for a spin and whatnot? Yeah, I'd Check love it all to. Out. Let's, let's, uh, let's stay in touch on that and keep bringing that up because I've yep. got a uh, – um, I started getting invitations to speak again. Um, that's kind of new. I haven't gotten any. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, I haven't gotten any in a couple of years. Well, for one, I was I started turning most of them down. I didn't really want to go travel and speak. And then, uh-huh. you know, the pandemic hit, so I, nobody was doing anything then. And just out of the blue now, I'm starting to get uh, invitations. And one of them 
You know, it's not that I gave them a crazy, crazy high price, but I, I really didn't want to go. It was a lot of travel, and I, so I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll give them a yeah. price and see what happens. And they jumped right on it. So I'm like, oh, well, all right. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I've certainly charged more than this before, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a price sure. that makes it worth going to do. It's a good group. I'm kind of excited about doing it anyway. So, but... I'm right. probably going to combine that with some travel in the coach, and it's back in uh, on the East Coast. So I'm not sure when I'm going to be taken off out of oh, here. Gotcha. But let's just let's just stay in touch, keep coordinating on that. Then, yeah, I mean, we can meet in the middle somewhere, yeah. or if you're coming through Ohio at some point, swing by. You know, how, however, we'll figure it out. But I I should have it uh, soon. I think we're going to do a hand over here probably the beginning of September um, and uh, dealers and whatnot um, giving feedback to the engineering staff uh, you know, giving feedback to just people in general that are interested in the super downsped stuff so we'll be seeing a lot of it and it's uh, we're cranking her up and getting her ready to get on the road anyway so Excellent. I'd love to get you in it and yeah. get your feedback on it and see what you think. Yeah, that'd be fun. All so, right. We'll, see, uh, yeah, see what we can do. There you go. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.